following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start at verse 37, and that's on page 870 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in this great confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, but before we go any further, let's pray together. Lord, um, we ask now that your spirit would speak to us, that you would clear out the clutter, that you would clear the decks, that we could hear your word. We pray that you would speak to us, not me. Lord, may your word speak for itself, and may our hearts be open to your teaching. May our ears be open to hear you speak to us. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, we dealt with um, how Jesus pointed out that our insides should match our outsides. Um, That outward cleanness, that appearing to be spiritually clean on the outside is of no value at all without cleanness on the inside. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were only concerned with the outward, uh, outward appearances and Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. In the rest of the passage here in Luke 11, Jesus proclaims six woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers. Um, and I, I can't help but hear uh, Tony Danza. Whoa. I, whoa. I, I, I'm sorry. Child of the 80s. And um, anyway, according to the New Bible Dictionary, the third edition, uh, third edition when Jesus says, whoa, Woe unto you, he is not so much pronouncing a final judgment as deploring the miserable condition in God's sight of those he is addressing. Their wretchedness lies not least in the fact that they are living in a fool's paradise, unaware of the misery that awaits them. The state of the materially minded, blinded by wealth to their spiritual needs, of the self-satisfied, of the impenitent and unsympathetic, and of those who are universally popular is declared by Jesus to be wretched. Similarly, the woeful condition of the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, Luke calls them lawyers, um, lies, Jesus tells them, in the hypocritical zeal, the lack of proportion, the love of display, and the self-complacency which disfigure their religion. That was a mouthful even to read. Uh, So woe is bad. Uh, I guess unwoe would be good. No, I don't know. Well, let's look at our text from Luke chapter 11 and see uh, what we can find there. Uh, Luke 11, 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside are full of greed and wickedness. 
You fools, did not he who make, made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the, de the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. May God add his blessing to his word. So the Pharisees, as we talked about last week, were a sect of the Jewish people who were known for their strict adherence to the law of Moses. So strict that they added all kinds of other rules and traditions on top of the law, um, but taught those uh, taught that those rules that they made up were just as important as the law of God. Now, I want you to be, I want to be very uh, clear in, in that we understand when I say the law, I'm not talking about the law of the land, you know, to, to follow the speed limit and pay your taxes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is the law of God, the law of Moses, right? This, this is um, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the law. Okay, that's what I mean. So when I write the law, I capitalize, it's a capital L, right? Because it's not just the law of the land, it's the law of God. So when you read the New Testament and it says the law, that's what, that's what it means, the, um, God's law. So the lawyers, on the other hand, the Pharisees were the ones who uh, enforced the law and the lawyers were the ones whose interpretation of the law formed the basis of the whole pharisaical system, all right? So these two groups walked hand in hand. And as we saw in our text, Jesus insulted one. Guess what? He insulted the other. Um, and the problem of both of these groups is the same. Uh, and it's the outward exercise of religion versus the inward cleanness of faith. Now, Jesus was pointing out the difference between reputation and character here. All right, reputation is being, you know, what other people think of you, what other people think you are, and character is being what God knows you are, right? So when you focus on the former and neglect the latter, you become a hypocrite. 
If all you care about is what people think of you and not who you really are, you're a hypocrite, right? Guilty. Okay? So for these individuals, this was a big problem um, as individuals. But the bigger problem was that these individuals were leaders and influencers of the people. And their influence was not positive. They wanted to make sure everybody else was following the rules as they taught them, as they prescribed them, even though they weren't doing it themselves. Now, do as I say, not as I do. That's a biblical principle, right? (laughs) Because the Pharisees did it, right? Doesn't mean it's good. So in Jesus' exposure of their uncleanness and hypocrisy, he pronounces these six woes, this miserable condition of this of these two groups. And they each get three because Jesus is very equitable. Very fair. The first is in the first is in verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now there's a lot to unpack here. Um, the word tithe here, uh, Jesus says, you tithe mint and rue and every herb. The word tithe means to give a tenth, um, uh, a tenth of one's income, right? This principle is introduced back in Leviticus chapter 27, um, where it says, every tithe of the land, every tenth part, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And verse 32 says, every tithe of herds, and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Right, so the Pharisees were very careful when counting out every tenth mint leaf and make sure one for me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and one for the Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and one for the Lord. These are mint leaves. Right? Very careful to do that, and yet they neglected justice and the love of God. As Calvin defines it, judgment or justice is taken for equity or uprightness, the effect of which is that we render to every man what belongs to him and that no man deceives or injures others. Mercy proceeds farther and leads a man to endeavor to insist his brethren with his property to relieve the wretched by advice or by money, to protect those who are unjustly oppressed, and to employ liberally for the common good the means which God has put into his hands. Faith is nothing else than strict integrity, not to attempt anything by cunning or malice or deceit, but to cultivate towards all that mutual sincerity which every man wishes to be pursued towards himself. The sum of the law, therefore, relates to love. So though we are set free from the law's strict requirement to tithe, it's a great starting point for giving when it comes to our cheerful worship in giving, as um, Corinthians says. We're to give cheerfully what we've decided in our heart to give. And Jesus told the Pharisees that they should do one without neglecting the other. And the same holds true for us. Justice, equity, uprightness, mercy, love for our neighbor, love for God, as well as generosity. 
that all still holds true. Verse 43, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Now again, Jesus reminds them of their focus on outward appearances and pride. And they sought to sit at the head table, right? To sit up front in the synagogue where, where all the dignitaries and the important people sat. We don't have any dignitaries or important people because nobody sits up here. We all know that it's back there where Doug and Sherry are, right? In just a few chapters from now, Luke uh, will record in chapter 14, verse 8 through 11, um, Jesus instructed his followers. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees did as a habit, right? They exalted themselves all the time. And only now they're getting dressed down for their pride and their presumption. All right. Jesus warns his followers to look out for the Pharisees who make their phylacteries long and the tassels of their robes long. They're just showing off for everybody. Now, the next woe is the woe that bothers me the most. And it's not because I don't understand it. It's because I do and I don't like it. Verse 44, Jesus says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Right? Self-explanatory. Let's move on. No? Okay. (laughs) Just making sure you're still there. So the basis for this statement is found in Numbers uh, 19.16, which says, Whoever in the open field touches someone who has Uh, who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Okay, so what that meant is if you walked over an unmarked grave, you were unclean for seven days, right? That means you can't go to the temple. It means you can't worship uh, corporately for seven days until you're uh, ritually cleansed at the end of that. It's not like go find a pitcher of clean water and be cleansed. You have to wait. Okay? So the trouble that I have with this statement is that the people who followed the Pharisees, who admired their guidance, who sat under their teaching, were actually being defiled instead of being made clean. Right? The uncleanness of their legalism and pride was actually infecting those who followed them, and those followers didn't even know it. Why this bothers me is because this is me. As a teacher, this troubles me greatly. If my life and my teaching don't match and you folks faithfully come and every week do your best to stay awake while I teach and yet my life doesn't match the things that I teach, 
when you think you're doing something good, something bad is happening, whether you're aware of it or not. This is why this bothers me so much. I pray that I don't add to anyone else's problems because of my own sin and my own failures. So in the middle of Jesus' proclamation of woes on the Pharisees, one of the experts of the law stands up and says to Jesus, when you insult the Pharisees, you're insulting us lawyers too. I wonder what this guy was expecting for a response. Oh, whoa, sorry, sorry, my bad. No, you guys are cool. Those bunch of jerks, no, 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 you guys are all right. right? Yeah, no. Verse 46, and he says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Again, the the, the problem Jesus is pointing out is not the law. The, the law wasn't the problem. It was the lawyers. Now, again, this is not lawyers like we have now. These were religious teachers, right? These were experts in the law of Moses, not the law of the United States, not constitutional experts, right? So that's why I prefer to call them scribes or teachers of the law instead of lawyers so we don't get confused. But I'm going to call them lawyers now anyway, because that's what I wrote down. Jesus is pointing out the lawyer's unscrupulous, hypocritical, shameless, inconsistent enforcement of the law. People loading, uh, loading people up with burdens of religion without lifting a finger to help them. And this is exactly the effect that legalism has. You've heard that expression before, legalism, right? You have to dress this way. You, have to on, you can only use this version of the Bible. You have to sing out of this book. You can only play this instrument. You can't play instruments at all. You can't work or shop or go for a walk on Sundays. All right? You get the picture. Now, maybe smile because, or laugh at that because it's not part of your experience. And praise God if it's not. Some of us grew up in churches where this was life, you know, and if if those kids made a peep, everybody turns around and gives you the evil eye, right? And if that kid wasn't wearing a suit and making noise, nice tie, by the way, (laughs) right? You get the picture. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, is what Paul tells us. Don't be a slave to empty religion and powerless religious rituals. Religion, man's effort to to earn our way to God, only buries the word of God under heaps and mounds of traditions. There's nothing wrong with tradition. But we've got to understand that the things that we like that are outside of God's word, not that they're unbiblical, but extra biblical, just because we like them does not make them the law. Right? There's nothing wrong with tradition, but we can't worship it. 
we can't be a slave to it. Verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation." The blood of Abel, that's Cain and Abel. Maybe you've heard of him, right? Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, Abel is the first martyr. He was the first person killed for doing what God asked him to do, killed by his brother because of jealousy, because he offered a right sacrifice before God, the way God asked him to do it. And Cain thought of his own way, of worshiping God and brought a different sacrifice that God did not prescribe. God was pleased with the sacrifice he asked for and not pleased with the one he wasn't. And can you believe it? That made Cain mad. God said, do it this way. Cain says, I'm going to do it this way. I don't understand why God doesn't like it. Good thing it was only that one time. <clears throat> it's not. We keep doing it. Anyway, Abel, the first martyr. Zechariah. Zechariah was the last martyr in the Hebrew organization of the Old Testament. You can read about him in your homework for tonight. Second Chronicles, chapter 24, uh, verses 20 through 21. Zechariah, prophet of God, was stoned to death in the temple between the altar and the sanctuary. He's the last martyr in the Hebrew uh, organization of the Old Testament where Second Chronicles comes last, not Micah, right? It's just organized differently, and you can still find um, Bibles organized in that same manner if you want. That was the one that they had. That was the structure that they had. That's why Jesus said it that way. Alistair Begg said, The same hate that filled the hearts of their fathers towards the prophet is actually filling their hearts against Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53, the words of Stephen, who was the first martyr of the New Testament, he said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Some of those same men who picked up rocks to throw at Stephen until he was dead were there that day Jesus proclaimed these woes. It wasn't that long afterwards. Proverbs 29, verse 1 says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. What was the job of the Old Testament prophets? It was to warn. 
It was to call the people back to repentance, saying, you have wandered from God. Come back. Come back to true worship of God as he prescribed in the law. And over and over and over again, the people stiffened their necks, did not repent, and went their own way. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. These men were held responsible for the blood of all the prophets because they did not listen to them, they did not learn from them, they did not recognize that they were all pointing to Jesus, whom they were persecuting and plotting against in that very moment. And so they will be held responsible. And finally, are you having fun? Finally, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. In Matthew's record of this instance, in Matthew 23, verse 13, uh, said it this way, For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. All right? What does he mean? Jesus is the key to understanding the whole Bible. If you do not read the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, the Old Testament is not going to make a lot of sense. It's a bunch of stories about stuff you don't understand, uh, uh, about people who lived a long time ago. What? I don't, I don't get it. Without Jesus, it's just a bunch of stories. They're true historical accounts, don't get me wrong. But if you do not read them with Jesus in mind, you're not going to get very far. Jesus is the key to the whole Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. Instead of pointing people to him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and its prophecies, they stood opposed to him. They rejected him and eventually had him killed. They wouldn't have faith in him, and they try to keep other people from having faith in him. They refuse to turn away from their own sin, from their empty religion. They refuse to turn to Jesus in faith. They refuse to instruct others to turn to Jesus in faith. And so they would not enter the kingdom of heaven, and they hindered others who were entering or who were trying. I know we've been at this for a while. Today, but we still have to ask. So what? What, What's our takeaway? What 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 can we learn from this confrontation? What does this have to do with us? One of the things I love about the Word of God is, as complex as it seems sometimes, it's still so simple. The lesson is, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't count on empty religion. Don't count on appearances. Don't count on your traditions and religious practices and not on true faith in Jesus. That's all that matters. Don't withhold justice and mercy and generosity. Don't neglect the love of God and the love of your neighbor. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let him lift you up. Honor the Lord by obeying his word as it's given not adding to it, not taking away from it. Enter the kingdom of God through simple faith in Jesus and invite others to join you. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do love you. And we're so thankful for the simplicity of the message of your word. That you did all the work to save us. And we add nothing to it. All we have to do is trust you. To trust the work that you did for us. By sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. And rise from the dead that our sins would be washed away just by trusting in him. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you more, even if that's for the first time. I pray that if anyone has not put their faith in Jesus, that today is the day they say, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive my sin. I trust you to deal with my sin and to set me apart to be part of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us that have been counting on our religious practice, our traditions, our adding to the word of God. I pray that you would show us what the Bible truly does actually say so we would know how to live, how to please you, Father, we need your help to do that. Open our eyes, Lord. We see the truth of your word. Don't let us be slaves again, like we were to sin. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, for your love, for your son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.